Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome to episode 147 of A Play on Nerds. As always, I'm Steve and this other guy is Jarman. Welcome, folks. And we are here to co-host the living hell out of this. <laughs> and Jarman, what are we honoring today and what are we talking about instead? Oh, well, today we are going to be honoring the release of... Um, the hell is it called? Top Gun <laughs> Top, 2. Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick. Maverick. I think it's, there were probably others, weren't there? Or is this just like. That's it. This is really the first it. one. Oh, wow. It's like 30 years later or something. It's I thought crazy. it was like a, a new sequel, but no, with him actually in it. But yeah, this is. No, it's a long anticipated sequel. Huh. Uh, and to honor it, we're going to talk about a movie they did not wait that long to make. No. That's Iron Eagle 2. <laughs> And longtime fans of the show might have known that we did a copycat cinema, I believe, a long time ago of Iron Eagle and Top Gun. And so this is the long awaited return for us to do Iron Eagle 2. Awaited sequel (laughs) to that episode. Yeah, exactly. We know you've been waiting for it, folks. (laughs) But before we get into that, Jarman, you've been a busy bee. It's since true. last we spoke. What have you been up to? And for you won't notice behind the scenes, folks, but we've been like three weeks between uh, recording episodes or something like two or three weeks. It's a long time. Yeah. And so we are I've been basically really busy with my fringe festival show that I'm putting on. I helped write, produce, acting in, uh, direct all this stuff. And uh, there's only four person team making this and uh, it's waiting for Godot, the uh, the show of two men waiting for Gal Gadot, the actress to show up to the Wonder Woman three premiere. And we've had five shows thus far. We have two more left, and it's gone really well. We've gotten great reviews from the local newspapers, and uh, people are laughing hysterically at it at the theater. So it's just gone much better than I could have ever hoped. Been a lot of work, but uh, it's it's going well. So yeah, that's what I've been up to this whole time. Uh, just going around the festival and making it happen. <laughs> that's right. What about you, Steve? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, without having to prep for the podcast, I've had a couple quiet weeks. It's up getting sick, of course. Yeah. Work is ramping up. My kids just got over an illness. I thought I dodged it. And then this morning woke up with a tickle in my throat. Yeah. By the end of the day, I had to lay down. So my voice will fade as the episode goes on, but my enthusiasm for Iron Eagle 2 will not. (laughs) My enthusiasm will just live on. I'm tired. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad you made yeah. it. I'm glad we both made it. We both barely made this episode happen. <laughs> That's right. We're making it happen for you. I'm pointing at no one. <laughs> Everyone out there. Everyone out there. You. I'm talking to you, Paul Wright and <laughs> Sean Daniel, Daniel Peter, Peter Hitch. Hitch. <laughs> Whose name I have to say all three <laughs> names of every time. And, of course, Mike on Twitter, who, who apparently listens to all of our episodes, too. We love it, Mike. So thank you so much. Is that at Jarek? It is. <laughs> all right, at Jarek. I'm pointing at you as well. And I'm sure because of, of our download numbers, there are a lot of other people who listen, but we just don't know your name. So if you'd like to ever email us or tweet at us or. Yeah, we know these guys because they just they just won't leave us alone. <laughs> those, those bastards. <laughs> 
Uh, but I think that takes us into some nerdy news. Oh, yeah. It's time for Nerdy News. All right, so this time on Nerdy News, I'm going to talk about something interesting, the, the state of cinema. Because Steve and I talk a lot about movies and cinema on this podcast. You've kind of gotten the hint that we like that to talk about those kind of things in this show. And uh, recently, Guillermo del Toro came out and talked about the state of cinema at an event where he actually spoke for like an hour to people and asked them questions. And IndieWire did a great report on it, basically saying that del Toro, a lifelong movie lover and collector, bemoaned the disappearance of physical media and how Curation now falls in the hands of algorithms at lightning speed, stymieing the pleasures of holding a piece of cinema and discovering it for yourself, Um, which kind of rang true with me because basically all these different streaming services, you can go through and kind of pick movies that you want to see, put them on a list, but then it kind of feeds you movies it thinks you'll like as you go along and be on there more watching different things. And now it's kind of curating it for you and you don't really get to just find those hidden gems or you know, go to the video store and just pick up a random DVD and that kind of thing. And that whole system has completely changed. Um, and obviously it's changed the way cinema is happening because, you know, people are watching more things from home because of the pandemic pretty much only blockbusters get to come out in theaters. The movies that cost $200 million. Um, and he said at the event, we are in the present losing more movies from the past faster than ever before. It seems like we aren't, but the mere disappearance of physical media is already having corporations curating what we watch faster for us, he said. The future doesn't belong to us, so our duty is not to ourselves, but to the future for the people who come after. Um, he says, everybody's working, everybody's doing a TV series, a commercial, a video, a feature. We produce more than ever, and we can watch less than ever. So basically, everybody's in the room has everyone in this room has to catch up with 20 movies, 10 TV series, 50 commercials. We are all behind. In a sense, we have a train that is moving faster, and we are all running outside the train trying to jump on board at some point, which I thought was a great point because it sounded like there's so much to watch now that we don't even get a shot at like catching everything we probably would love. So it's a good problem to have. He's not saying it's yeah, terrible. I don't I don't know. I kind of disagree. Yeah. I think we're we're sort of in a new old age of movies in that if you think about Hollywood in you know the the 20s to 40s when studios would film entire films in a week. Yeah. Or in 2 weeks, actors were pumping out seven to 10 movies a year. Hmm. So you want to talk about mass release and quick turnaround? I mean, we've already done that, but that was, it was and only that's the, referred to as the golden age of cinema for that. It matter. was only the three studios and there were like 40 actors and actresses that, you know, everyone knew who they were and that was it. Yeah. But Netflix does the same thing. They produce a million things and they reuse the same actors in all of them. But they have a million things. Then Disney Plus has a million things. Hulu has a million things. Yeah, YouTube like three has... studios have a million things and a, <laughs> a cavalcade of actors they use. Uh, I just it sounds familiar, so I, I don't I I don't fully agree. Maybe on just a bigger <laughs> scale, if I had. Oh, certainly I had a bigger scale. Yeah, but I think on the the podcast before, you've talked about sort of the lament of, of the loss of the twenty to forty million dollar film, mm-hmm. and I think with things like Netflix and Hulu, we are seeing those again. Yes, they're finding their place where they can live uh, with those. And he's, he did say at the event as well, he's like, but is anyone actually watching those films? Because they don't report any of the numbers. People don't know if they're actually popular, but they keep making them. So they must be giving some numbers. But I'd like it if Netflix or Hulu and all those places were required to show the numbers. Kind of like how all the box office returns are all public. 
we don't know anything about how actually popular each one of these shows or movies on these streaming services are. So I don't know. It's it's if they change yeah, that, I'd I like th- it. I think they I think the way they broadcast that is by discontinuing things. Canceling things and people getting because, pissed and about mind you, that also blindsides people because you're right. The fans didn't know maybe they're the only people watching that show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the only people that like that show and suddenly it's canceled. Um, so maybe in that regard, I could see some sort of reporting need or like an equivalent of like the Nielsen rating or the Nielsen family sort of thing. So at least you're prepared that that one didn't do too well. And like, oh, it's probably going to get canceled because it's because, yeah, Nielsen reports were always public, too. So this is the first time in kind of entertainment history that we don't have any idea of how well things are doing. They just kind of going off their word and their advertising level of how well those things are doing. So it's strange. Yeah, um, I actually got we got an invitation. I had like a form set to me to become a Nielsen family. Oh, nice. And it sounded really complicated. And I was like, there's no way my five year old's going to stand for any of this. <laughs> that makes so sense. I, I turned it down. But yeah, we got an offer know, a year ago at this point. Yeah, it seems so. Antiquated but it was all about entering individual watcher codes when one person was watching and then switching to like a family watching code when everyone was watching. And it involved a lot of like logging in and logging out. Oh God. Right. And I just went, I'm not, I, I can't do that when my child's screaming at me to put <laughs> Daniel Tiger on for the 50th time. Put on Daniel Tiger. <laughs> da-ta, da-ta, says Dilly. <laughs> oh, he's already saying that. That's great. Oh, he's got, he's got a, at least a hundred, 150 words at this point. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh man but i so I, I get what he's saying but i mean i don't know i think i think we're sort of seeing a new renaissance for film it's gonna change the way things work but uh i think it'll eventually even out and i i, I don't want all theaters to go away because it's a great experience going to a theater to see a film but yeah it might just be the big tentpole movies where you need that surround sound and that big old huge screen so we'll see yeah that's my little <laughs> very new segment but i think that takes <laughs> us on to our main segment of the wonderful Iron Eagle 2. Insert oh, music here. Running with the boys, run free. Burning up the sky. Chasing the angels. Yeah, this one doesn't have the same great song as last time. No. Uh, Never say die, Iron Eagle. All right, Iron Eagle 2, this is a gem, and I've got a summary for you. Movie opens with two maverick-like cocky pilots, <laughs> one of which is Doug Masters, the lead from the last movie, uh, Iron Eagle 1. Luckily, he dies pretty quick. <laughs> no. uh, him and another guy are testing out top speeds when they accidentally venture into Soviet airspace. Uh, Soviets come to escort them back to American airspace, but heavy tensions set in and a dogfight breaks out. And... Doug Masters, the lead from the last film, is killed. And it's the same the actor. First... I'm like, if he was available for that, why couldn't he just star in this film? <laughs> yeah, she was home. I was like, okay, we're continuing the thread. And then he was gone. <laughs> um, meanwhile, at an Air Force Museum, I think in Nevada, we catch up with Chappie, who I looked it up. His plane definitely went down in the right. last film, and it was heavily implied that he was killed. No, he comes back at the very end of the film. I looked at the Wikipedia. Does he? He comes back at the very end. Apparently, he had parachuted out the last minute, and they and oh some some Chinese uh, service member found him and brought him back to a bar. <laughs> and I fought, forgot about that entirely. <laughs> oh my god! So he did survive. 
Uh, well, he's been grounded since uh, his little treason act. <laughs> and uh, a general comes and says, hey, we need you to lead a top secret mission. And 52 hours later, he's in Israel. Yep. Where him and some other pilots and then some other various military people, like they're not all pilots. Some of them are ground troops are paired up with dun 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 the Soviets. Ooh. Turns out unnamed Middle Eastern country. They literally give like a designation and coordinates, but they don't say what country ever on purpose has made a nuclear weapon. And in two weeks, they're going to be ready to launch it. And the Soviets and the Americans have to shut it down. But, oh, no, one of the Soviet pilots is the guy who killed Doug in the opening dog fight. <laughs> There's a series, I'm not going to say it's a montage, but it's just a series of vignette scenes where it's Americans trying to get along with Russians and it not going well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have some training exercises and fake dog fights that devolve into a real fist fight on the ground. Uh, but they, they kind of learn to get along and the Soviet pilot eventually apologized for killing Doug. Well, he turns out he didn't kill him. His fellow uh, wingman killed him, as Buddy was saying. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, these are important plot points, folks. Yeah, these are important <laughs> plot points. There's also a, a love interest in here somewhere that literally means nothing. Shoehorned in to the extreme. <laughs> uh, then they're doing a training exercise, and Major Bush, who's their like head pilot, dies during one of these training exercises because he has like a panic attack due to claustrophobia. <laughs> That's also my, stri- my stripper name. How become an Air Force pilot? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, this is when Chappie figures out that this entire mission was set up to fail. Mm. And the guy who gave him the job didn't want it to go through. So he gave him like a ragtag shit bunch of soldiers. Because really, he just wanted to nuke the fuck out of the entire area as the last resort option that he wanted to make sure. Happened. Right, he's, he's trying to purposely fail the mission. So it forces them basically into all out war. Mm hmm. Uh, they cancel the operation, but Chappie gives a rousing speech, just like the original, and they go against orders and they all commit treason. <laughs> <laughs> they launch the mission. It honestly isn't going well. Um, they're about to be overtaken, but then who comes in and save the day? It's the Soviets. Yay. Uh, a pilot dies, uh, but in the end, love interest that literally didn't matter before this point shoots missiles through an air shaft. And similar to the Death Star, everything blows up. <laughs> but not the nuclear missile somehow. Yeah. The joint operation is a success. High fives and handshakes all around. Chappie's offered like a general position and a return from disgrace, but he turns it down. Matt is reunited with love interest Valerie, uh, where he finds out that they're set up for a pilot exchange program with Russia. Which you'll never hear about again. Just to tie a nice little bow on this. And that is Iron Eagle 2. So the first thing I have to say right out the gate is just that we I read the, the Wikipedia articles for the fourth or third, fourth and fifth Iron Eagles. Oh, my God. Apparently, in Iron Eagle 5 or maybe it's four. Uh, it turns out that Doug Masters, the guy from the first movie who he thought died in this one, is not dead. He also parachuted out and was captured by Soviets. <laughs> And he comes How back convenient. and he stars in the fourth movie because <laughs> his career went nowhere. Man, I wish they could make up their mind. So in five years, when Steve films. and I have inevitably review uh, Iron Eagle four, we'll get back to that. When Top Gun four comes out. <laughs> exactly. 
geriatric Tom Cruise getting into a plane. Still doing his own stunts. <laughs> you know it. Uh, so overall, this movie wasn't that bad. So the beats were predictable, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, for an 80s movie, 80s action flick, what do you expect kind of thing? <laughs> Especially like a right. mid-budget. Actually, it seemed like it had a pretty big-ass budget, but who knows? This, I got to say, the military stuff and the um, the production value on this movie was much higher than the original. A lot of extras, a lot of explosions and vehicles and tanks and uh, compounds and missiles and all this kind of shit. Yeah, they definitely had more access this time around. Right. Uh, I like that there were there were a few actors you might recognize. <laughs> uh, the Chappie, of course. Louis Gossett uh, Jr. Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, no, not Iron Eagle 1. I want Iron Eagle 2 IMDb. <laughs> it doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, there's just one entry for all of them. <laughs> uh, you have character actors like Mari Chaikin. Who, if you look him up, he has played a sleazy guy in like every film. He was the guy who played uh, Downs. Yeah, yeah. He was. Yep. You, you'll recognize him, folks, if you watch this movie. He's, He's like, been in a ton of stuff. Uh, yeah. Colm Fjord. Yes. Who played Yuri, the Soviet pilot? He has gone on to be in many, many things and had a good, successful career. This was his first movie, but if you look up Colm Fior, he's been in tons of genre TV shows. I think Orphan Black. He's been in like all these different sci fi shows throughout the years, probably some Star Treks if I had to look it up. But yeah, he's everywhere. He's good. Um, so overall, not remembering all of Iron Eagle One, I'm going to say this is the better film. Yeah, I think this one was uh, the more interesting ensemble cast, and that's saying that lightly, but uh, <laughs> but it did, it did have like some uh, interesting plot. That's one of the things I put as my three good things. One of the good things I put was that um, the plot idea in itself is a good one, especially during the time period that it was set in 1988, I believe. Um, yeah. Tensions are high between Russia and America, the Cold War. And they, they, they have to work together to achieve a common goal to get rid of this nuclear missile that could threaten America or Russia. And so I was like, that's a great idea for a flick. I get it. That's cool. Um, just well, the execution I, might have been a little off. <laughs> something I thought was very funny about that is that you're, you know, in the 70s, 80s, during the Cold War, both America and the USSR made moves into the Middle East. Ah, yes, indeed. To like to gain influence and spheres of power there. And so I thought it was funny <laughs> that the one thing that, that brought them together was some middle Eastern country that wasn't listening to either of them. Yeah. Like let's, let's attack the Brown people. These two mostly Not majority your, white neither nations of us have control of this. We got to get in there and blow it up. And at least they did make a, a, a kind of fun little interaction at the beginning of the film where the Russian general shows up with his tr like troops to meet the American troops that are going to work together. And he th automatically thinks that the the generic white guy is the general. And Louis Gossett Jr. is like, uh, no, it's me. <laughs> it's like he's like, I recognize that uh, the the uh, the the uh, metal things on your chest, on your uniform showing rank are a little lighter on your country than the RRs <laughs> and like. And basically implying they're all white people in Russia. But at the same time, they go and attack a brown country together, which is the fun thing yes. they want to do. Yeah. As a team. As a team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so overall, honestly, not a bad movie. 
could have been way worse. I'm sure the the later Iron Eagles. Oh, I are can't way wait because we'll watch them eventually. <laughs> At some point, we'll find an excuse. Jeremy, uh, do we have any trivia or factoids? Well, before I get to that, a few oh. things. Uh, um, something else I thought was good. I don't think it does this on purpose, but it really shows how Americans can be giant pricks. Um, and they're arrogant assholes. Like it did that, showed that very well. But it, like in a new film, it would have been on purpose. I think there was that they thought that was cool in this film because it was '88 and that's when they made it. But they were just all dicks. Um, and so the bad things I thought about this was the air fight scenes just before Warren folks. If you want to go watch Iron Eagle, are just really repetitive and long. Did you feel that at all? Like it just felt like they were going on for much longer than needed to. It felt like there wasn't enough script. Right. And so they, they, they had to fill the time. There were times when, um, yeah, downs and the guy in the tank and they're playing with switches and kind of improvising and it just didn't feel, there wasn't enough there to constitute a four minute scene that we got to watch. It totally felt improvised because it wasn't funny enough to have been written on purpose, but it was just like weird. And then he actually shoots the tank at things and blows things up and almost, oh, yeah, like kills, almost people. kills people and no, no repercussions whatsoever. Cool. No one talks about it. <laughs> Destroy property. Um, and uh, another bad thing that ground fights were also kind of boring. It's like you, they'd be shooting constantly and then finally something would just blow up. And I was like, this is they're not hitting anyone, really? <laughs> yeah. When you're talking about like fighter jets and missiles and stuff, it's hard to imagine like, ah, we need some men on the ground, but only four. <laughs> like, we I get they need four men, men on the ground on the to ground. take out the anti-aircraft guns, but it's just like those were not executed well either. And four of them. And I also mentioned, like, as you said before, uh, the shoehorned romance between the Russian pilot and the generic white guy was awful. And it was it had no chemistry. Nothing. Um, Nothing. And funny enough, trivia wise, I went through the entire trivia list and it was so boring. All it was all about was just random aircraft facts that I didn't understand or care about. (laughs) So there was there was no filmmaking trivia of of interest whatsoever. So I just didn't put down anything. I was there's I looked through all of it. It was just all like checks out. This this MiG thirty four was actually a uh, MiG forty five. And it's like I I don't care. (laughs) So (laughs) so yeah, that was a that's kind of our Iron Eagle (laughs) review. Never say die, Iron Eagle. And they never did. They kept making movies. (laughs) So Steve, I hear that you have a bit for us for this uh, Uh, episode. Ah, do I have a bit? I stored it in my Play on Nerd Secrets folder. Mm-hmm. So, German, this week, they use uh, a lot of slang in the armed forces. Yeah. And I'm going to quiz you on some Air Force slang. Very nice. Where I'm going to uh, give you the term. I'll even use it in a sentence. And you have to tell me what it means. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> All right. The barber pole. As in, oh man, I'm right on the barber pole. Like right by the uh, the radar station. Uh, that's a good guess. Uh, a bunch of older aircrafts have red and white striped indicators for maximum safe speed. Uh, and so, if someone was going as fast as they could go, they would be right on the barber pole. I got that one wrong. Yep. Nope. Uh, a brick. And the sentence is: Does the colonel have a brick on him? Uh, a walkie-talkie. Yep, big handheld radio. Yes, nailed it, nailed it. <laughs> fangs out. She was really going fangs out up there during the exercise. Ah, uh, like uh, going super fast and aggressive. Yeah, flying aggressive or going for the kill. Yes. All right. 
See, the, the, the sentence for context, I think, is really a helping me out. <laughs> uh, a fighter pilot breakfast. And the sentence is, Riggs was so nervous, all he had was a fire pilot, uh, f- fighter pilot breakfast. Throw up? Uh, you get a third of a point. Because okay. it is a smoke, a Coke, and a puke. <laughs> well, all right. So you get a third. <laughs> that's, that's my sound effect for a third of a point. <laughs> uh, a piddle pack. It's a long haul. Be sure to bring a piddle pack. Like a catheter with like the thing you pee in? Yes. It is a device used uh, to urinate in during really long overseas flights. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know they had this. Uh, suck rubber. Mm. And the, the sentence is, we don't know what we're heading into, so everyone be ready to suck rubber. Uh, like have your mask on? I'll give you a half point. Specifically, get, put a gas mask on. Oh. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, all right, the final one. Pull chocks. Uh, we're in a hurry. We need to pull chocks and get out of here. Get our uh, uniforms on. No. Chocks are the name for those triangle blocks that they wedge under the wheels of aircraft. Oh, so we got to okay. pull chocks and, and hit it. I see. That makes sense. All right. That was it. <laughs> you got three. I don't, oh, man, fractions are hard. <laughs> Uh, you got three and five sixths of a point, I think. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I still have the children clapping. I don't know where that is. <laughs> that, that was always my favorite. I know. I need to find that again. And they had a lot of those uh, those terminologies in the movie too. Like I wondered if some of them were fake or they just actually researched all of those. But it was there they, were a ton. When I looked up Air Force slang, there were so many. It was incredible. Oh yeah, there's there's too many. Well, that brings us to a Radical Recommends. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. Okay, so my recommends this uh, episode, I think I talked about in the podcast before, but I looked back several episodes trying to make sure I never mentioned it before. I don't think I have as a recommend officially, but it's for the toys that made us and the movies that made us on Netflix. Um, I don't get a lot of time these days, especially the last several months, to watch any TV or play any video games or do anything I can recommend except the shit I've been doing for years. Uh, but these shows I occasionally sneak in when I can. Uh, Steve, have you watched any of them before? Oh, yeah. All oh. of them. Oh, God. And especially I love the toys that made us because I played with a lot of those damn toys as a kid. Some of them I wish I had, but they were a little before my time. But the movies that made us, my God, I've seen all these movies and it gives these really fun, but also really in-depth um, interviews from the actual pr- production people, like the producers, people who really were the nuts and bolts of how these movies got made um, from the people who wrote the scripts behind the scenes, people you wouldn't normally see interviewed, not just the big actors and that kind of thing or the directors, but like everyone who got the productions really moving and going and they were so difficult and hard. And like, it's just the footage they have is amazing. The interviews are really well cut and the narrators are always really funny um, I, I just love it. They do a lot of horror movies on there, especially, but there's other ones as well. There's like Dirty Dancing and uh, Home Alone. Home Alone. Yeah, it's it's just so much fun. They're hour long episodes, so strap in. But they're just they're well worth it if you're a movie fan. And this has been a yeah, very the, the yeah. aspect I like about it is it really establishes the timeline mm. of what it takes to make a film. Yeah, and like talking about when they're right up against deadline, or we had to have final edit in by blank, or. You know, we had four months of pre-production that went to these things. You know, it really lays out. Yeah, sort of like time you, you learn a lot about the industry, especially how it worked, especially in the 80s and 90s. 
Um, and it was difficult because we were using real film and it's expensive as hell. And um, it's just, and people not showing up on set or, you know, throwing fights and like people dropping out last minute. You see, hear about actors that would have played the role, but couldn't make it. And it's just, they have great graphics for the show. Um, they're just well worth watching. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's my radical recommend, but it's a fun one. I'm glad you've seen it, Steve, because it's definitely. Worth oh watching. yeah, they're, they're definitely worth it. All right. Well, that brings us over to trailer reviews. Well, to stay on the theme of highly anticipated sequels, we're going to be talking about the trailer that was recently released for Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Ooh. <laughs> um, this movie's been promised for like over a decade now. It's that long? Damn. Yeah, right? And looking at it, I don't know if it was worth the wait. <laughs> It appears to be about the same planet and the big blue cat aliens. Everyone's a little bit older. You know, the lead guy from last film is now a leader in the tribe of some sort. I think he's had a kid. They've, uh, they've uh, yeah, they have their own biological kids, but then they have adopted like a human boy that in theory was left from the settlers. Mm. Um, they, the corporation or some form of it is back because we see, you know, Marines and machines. So they came to some sort of an agreement to get to the unobtainium, <laughs> to get the unobtainium. Uh, but it's definitely going to be like, no, they've agreed to these things. Oh no, they broke the agreement. Now we have to fight back. Never saw that coming. We have to get the water tribes <laughs> involved or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. This movie was so, you know, we talked earlier about uh, films needing to be on the big screen. Right. And I think this is one of the ones where I may not know how I feel about it until I see it on a big screen. Yeah. And just recently, for the first time, I was able to go to the Avatar area of which park is that? I don't even know. Um Animal Kingdom? Animal Kingdom. Because I never right. I grew up and live in Orlando all this time. I'd never been to Animal Kingdom. And finally a friend got us in to go to Animal Kingdom and I got to see that area of the park. And it's it's beautiful the way they set it up because you feel like you're walking through holograms and the way the everything's moving around you and the and I got to go on the nice slow ride. I didn't get to go on the fast one, but the slow one where you get to see the animatronic that moves around just like one of the blue people. And it was fascinating. And that's how I kind of felt watching Avatar back in the day. It was one of the most beautiful 3D movies I've ever seen because it played with that better than any 3D movie I've ever seen. Like you feel like the flowers are around you as you're walking through the forest. So I, so I got why it was so popular. But the, there was never any indication that the plot was anything different than anything else we've seen before. Um, the, the white savior comes to save the tribal people. You know, it's been ha this done. dancing with wolves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the yeah. last samurai. It's It's been done a billion times. Um, so do we need a sequel now, 10 years later? Probably not. And, and this is supposed <laughs> to be, there's supposed to be two more after this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be like, you know, 75 years old by the time they come out. But That's right. Um, but also the thing was, too, I was going to tell you this, that when I was first seeing the trailer, I was like, oh, they're showing clips from the old movie to like make us remember what's going on. I'm like, oh, no, this is clips from the new movie. Oh, OK. Like, it just didn't look any different. I didn't know what was going on at first. It was hard to see any kind of plot. And so I saw like, oh, they have kids. So this is different footage. I couldn't tell that it was anything different than what I'd seen before because I don't remember anything about the old movie because it was so long ago. 
I yeah, know. I can agree with that. I think it's going to be hard to get audiences to to loop in. Yeah. I mean, you've had two children since the last movie came out. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's a long ass time ago. I've watched so much more Daniel Tiger. <laughs> Where's our Daniel since Tiger that movie? That's what we should be having. Yeah. Just prowling the jungle, learning about <laughs> ABCs and manners and shit. With a British accent. Isn't it British? I think it is. Nah. No, Daniel Tiger's not British. What am I thinking? Oh, of? no, he's definitely not British. Is there a British character on the show? Maybe there's royalty. You would know because you watch it. Yeah. The closest thing is his grandfather is called Grandpere. <laughs> so he's more French. French. <laughs> so what am I going to give this movie? I'm going to give this Gary Busey <laughs> sitting in a theater, eating popcorn, just, just aggressively eating popcorn. And he's got he's got one of those old pair of red and blue 3d glasses mm. and Raul Julia is sitting next to him and just looks and goes for the last time you don't need those. <laughs> All right. So my, my review is complicated. So bear with me more complicated than that. Right. More complicated. Right. So, uh, for months, uh, Jerry Busey has been going to James Cameron and pitching him movies like I got the best idea for this movie. And every time James Cameron's like, that's great. That's that's fascinating. I, I'll talk to you later. OK, so finally, James Cameron reaches out to Raul Julia because he knows that they know each other. And he's like, Raul, I need you to get him off my case. He's like, of course I will. So he tells James Cameron to send Gary Busey down in one of his specialized submarines that, that James Cameron owns All right. down to the bottom of the ocean, just with the original Avatar movie playing on loop. And so that's what I give this movie is a Gary Busey being exiled to the bottom of the ocean in a submarine watching Avatar, the original on loop. Pressurized Gary Busey until he dies at the bottom of the sea. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's high praise. Uh, Yeah. High praise. Watching someone (laughs) die slowly is what I think of this trailer. (laughs) Just like this franchise. Yeah, probably. That's what's going to (laughs) happen. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode of 147 of the Play on Nerds podcast. That's right. And Jerm, what are we going to be talking about next time? Uh, as we planned long ago, uh, Steve and I are going to be talking about Journey to the Center of the Earth with Brendan Fraser in celebration of the release of Jurassic Park Dominion. So what better way to celebrate Jurassic Park than with Brendan Fraser? I mean, come on. That's right. You love dinosaurs. You're going to love this 2008 hit. It really <laughs> wasn't a hit. It was kind of middling. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's fun, though, I'm sure. It's got young Josh Hutchinson in it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for joining us. Keep on coming back and being our nerdy audience, and we'll keep on coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Feel free to email feedback at aplayonnerds.com with all your questions or comments. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter and earn yourself a sweet shout out on the show. Review us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts so even more nerds can find us. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, we aren't picky. Check out our entire back catalog and other offerings at aplayonnerds.com. And how? And how?